Just kidding. Be friendly with each other. You can talk through the whole sermon. That's, you know, that's all right. I have four kids. I can ignore you talking amongst yourselves. <laughs> Welcome to Element 3 Church. I'm Pastor Scott. I'm thrilled to have you here on this cold day. Yeah. Some people said there was ice on their windshields. And I'm like, I'll show you ice. Back in my day, Nebraska. All seriousness, welcome, and I'm so glad you're here. Uh, we did switch over from heat to AC in the middle of the sermons, or the middle of the worship, so that was some good worship, folks. That's, that's how you know it is, it is powerful, God-centered worship when you go from heat to AC in the middle of a worship set. Welcome to Element 3 Church. I am just going to give a brief commercial for something called growth groups. How many are in a growth group right now? Woo-hoo. E3 Church showing up. Growth groups are kind of the, the, the perfect greenhouse elements to have accelerated growth in Jesus Christ. And if you're brand new to Element 3 Church, you're saying, well, that seems like a pretty big step. It is, but it's also one of the most awesome steps you can have by sharing your life, by going through and going deeper into the message or whatever curriculum your growth group's going through, and an opportunity to just have a microwave for growing in your faith with Jesus Christ. Those in growth groups, can I hear an amen? amen. It is both bewildering, it is very, very Here's all of me. Take me, please. And it's also very comforting to have a growth group of people who you're not, or maybe you are related to if in your growth group, but an opportunity to fellowship with one another and to grow. And we have some exciting new growth groups starting up this year. Uh, Michael Boland, he's over here. He's raising his hand very sheepishly. He's starting a new men's growth group at an hour and day when it's not six in the morning, right, Michael? Yes, our current men's group, which is awesome, led by John Sott, meets, I think, at, at 5.30. It keeps getting earlier the more I talk. 5 o'clock, they meet at church. 4.30 in the morning, they're meeting at church. But an opportunity for our men to gather together, not at 4 in the morning, and to fellowship together. We also have another growth group that'll be starting very soon. If you're interested, find me, not after service, because we're doing an owner's meeting. Find me through my email, scott at element3.org, and I'd love to connect with you both in person and online. We'd love to find a way to get you into a growth group. Now, commercial over. Woo. Sermon time. Welcome, and we're going into eat, eat, payday. And I'm just thrilled that anybody shows up when the pastor talks about money. But in all that was a joke. But in all seriousness, I know you want more Bible Jeopardy. Yes, church? And I will not do that. I was just talking with a new guest, a newer guest, James. I said, Bible Jeopardy is something you just give to the people just enough so they never know when it's coming back, okay? You know it's Bible Jeopardy when your pastor wears a suit and a tie to church. That's Bible Jeopardy Sunday. This is Sweater Sunday, amen? amen. But I want to have a little bit of a fun this morning and highlight those on our finance team. I warned two-thirds of them. Danielle, you have not been warned. Danielle, John, and Rex, will you come up to the front? I'm going to have a little game, a little game we're going to play with our finance team. You have to come up, Danielle. You have to. It's, it's, when the pastor calls you out in service, you have to come up. They're going to be over at this table, folks, and there's a bag of money. Over on this side, I need all our high schoolers in here. I need three high schoolers. If you're in high school, your parents will volunteer you right now. Come on up, <laughs> high schoolers. Here's one. All right, early college. Middle schoolers, you didn't go. Come on, come on. You're, you're late college. Late college counts, okay? We're going we're gonna to get the teams together. Here's the goal. Here's the goal. It's a race, okay? You have a bag of money. You have a bag of money. Do not touch the bag of money until I tell, tell you to, okay? You're going to make sure you have an equal amount of money for all people, whoever gets to the fastest, okay? Our finance team, who is so awesome and works behind the scenes to make sure all the books are budgeted and all the values are in there, we want to say thank you to them right here, right now. 
and to our awesome high schoolers and very late college, almost graduating college for contestants. I feel bad from last week. I said there's a $100 bill attached to one of the bottom of the seats and made them all jump up at the same time. So I'm going to pay you this week, okay? So whatever money you get from here is yours. It's, it's an amazing amount of full of quarters and nickels, okay? Church, are you ready? <laughs> the goal is to get an equal amount of money for all the people the fastest. You may not break coins. You may not break coins, okay? I don't know how you do that, but just in case. You cannot hold a coin at the, each time saying we each own half of it. No, you can't do that. And you may have to think creatively. On your mark, get set, go. Now, while they're doing that, we're going to review what's been going on at Elementary Church. Two weeks ago, we talked about having your payday be directed to the goals of the new year, knowing that those must be planned using passages from Luke. That was two weeks ago. Could get that review slide up? Last week, we discussed several of Jesus' teachings on money from Mark and talked about finance in 2023. Today, we're going to we'll have one more book backward as we're looking in Matthew with an infamous parable from Jesus on finance. But today's focus will be much larger than the two weeks. I want to talk about how heaven treats our payday. So the title of this sermon is Heavenly Payday. A quick note on tithing. I'm not a pastor who advocates tithing. Tithing is a biblical principle set in the Old Testament, but Jesus over and over and over in his ministry says, give generously and give in abundance. 10% is an easy number. It's easy to divide by 10. If they said a tithe is 11%, you'd be saying, oh, I don't know. 10% is easy. That's why we use tithing in many other churches. There's just thing against that, but give generously with your finances. Pastor Mike. All right, let's see. How much money do you have per each person? <laughs> All right, how much, how much you got? How much you got? 65 cents each? How much? 65 cents each. Round of applause for both teams. Don't leave yet. Don't leave yet. If I would add in this one singular penny, what happens to your calculations? It disappeared. We round. We round. Round up or down. Yeah. If I add one more penny over here, what would happen to high schoolers in very late college, almost graduated college? It's impossible, right? Here's what we're going to do. Thanks, Phoenix. Here's what we're going to do. You may be dismissed back to your seats. Round of applause one more time for our workers. You can take your 65 cents. That's, that used to be a pop. Whoa. The ultimate. <laughs> now you actually maybe get a soda from a machine. We are excited and keep this activity in the front of your minds because there is a faster way to go through this than they just did. And that was pretty fast. Amen, church? Yeah. I'm impressed with the, the, the almost college graduate and high schoolers that they were able to go so quickly because counting out money and dividing it between three people is not an easy task. There's a faster way, and we're going to reveal that as we get into the message here this morning. But I want to talk about the heavenly payday. Now, most of us, when we think about heaven, we're sitting on clouds, we're eating tubs full of butter. That's how I picture it. And handfuls of bacon. And there's no penalty to that, right? It's just never-ending. Butter, bacon, butter, bacon, butter, bacon. Forever. And then you have to sing a song to God once in a while, okay? You get, dude, all that grease in your vocal cords, it's angelic, okay? But for real, for real, there's this concept of heaven that we don't quite understand, so we just don't want to read about it or try and investigate it. And today, Jesus' parables are all about it. 
but about the kingdom of God and how God will reward us and that heavenly payday is just going to hit us smack between the eyes. And I believe the following passage will challenge us, all of us today, and we're going to go backwards just a little bit into Matthew 19, getting us context, starting at verse 23. Just before this, Jesus asks a rich man to sell all of his possessions to follow him, and this rich man, instead of selling everything, he leaves very sad, is what the scripture says. Verse 23, Jesus says to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a to go through an eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you will follow me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive how much more? And inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And that phrase is what we're going to get into today. Because that sounds like something from a Batman movie that the Riddler says, right? And Batman goes to his bat cave and just computates, what does this mean? And Robin somehow says something and then they figure it out, right? So every Batman show from the 1970s went. There may be more than one person worried as we go into this that there's going to be a normal sermon about money, but friends, exhale. I will not only make you feel guilty maybe about your finances, but also about your salvation here this morning. Real crisis is here today at E3 Church. It's my very humble opinion that God would be an awful capitalist. It isn't that God doesn't understand owning and selling and investing. God created all things and owns all things, including us. Right? Yet as we continue on the parable, it cuts both the rich and the poor, the first and the last in terms of the economy of wealth versus the economy of heaven. So as we continue into the next chapter, into chapter 20, Jesus expounds, what does this passage of the first and last actually mean? He begins, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Now, very culturally, this, this parable is easy to understand so far. Unemployment was a continual problem in Jesus' day. And slaves who were bound to a master in Jesus' day had it in some ways easier because they had a protector, an owner, who would provide for their daily sustenance, not so the unemployed worker. Day laborers involve no such investment and can be hired for short periods and overworked and also abused. I'm not saying that slavery is good. Don't hear that. Hear how the culture was in Jesus' day. The workday was about 12 hours from sunrise to sunset, and that makes sense because they don't have electricity in Jesus' day. This also affects the Palestinian sun, which is brutal, the Palestinian sun, as you're working out in the fields or whatever the job that you're hired to do, working in the sun for 12 hours straight is not a good way to live. The poverty of the day laborers was so obvious that the law required that they paid at sunset because they needed the money to survive. We see that the rabbinic writings accept, expect the same. And the denarius that the owner agrees to pay the workers is considered the average wage of a day laborer. That does not provide for a family. That does not provide for family. So think about the day wage that you may get for whatever job you have done or do right now. 
And that's what they're getting at the end of the day so that they can go home and then repeat the next day because you're not getting more to save. You're not getting more than the day wage to know what you're going to happen for the next day. But here's where the parable begins to unravel. The believability becomes suspect. Verse three, about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and still found others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. This believability of this parable is gone. Because culturally, unless the vineyard was right next door to where these workers are standing, You have to have them travel to the vineyard. And believe it or not, they don't have transportation that's very reliable back in Jesus' day. There are no Honda elements for sale. We see that then Jesus takes us a totally different direction, verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard called his foreman, called the workers and paid them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the... The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have been born the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for one denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last, same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Word of God for the people of God. This is on one hand the easiest, and on the other hand the most difficult parable to interpret and apply in our contemporary culture in 2023. See, Jesus gives a statement in reply to Matthew 19 to 27 when Peter asks what there will be for us. So he's talking directly to Peter. He's telling this parable to Peter, in fact, but all the disciples. And they assume some sort of compensation. I mean, they're following the king of the world. They're following the Christ. And they're waiting to see, hey, what's, what's in this for me? I want power. I want some, I want some prestige. Can I at least have a, a church named after me after I'm gone? At 2016, then, he frames again along with 1930, this idea of the first and the last and the last and the first, meaning that this is the intent of the parable, to understand that what our beliefs are, in terms of both finance and salvation, are flip-flopped. It's highly countercultural and even counter to being human, I believe. We expect compensation to match the amount of work we do. Even the most infant of economies, of uncivilized, in quotation marks, people, do the same. We have this great movie about missionaries called uh, The End of the Spear in which the person who is from South America who had never been in an advanced economy comes to the United States and is totally shocked at the culture of our people. He says they go to these big, huge supermarkets where they have the shelves lined with food. He's never seen something like this. And they have walkways where instead of doing the walking, they do the walking for you. And he talks about how you give this thing called this, this, this payment and the people are always so happy. They're always smiling at you and Instead of taking it, they just give it right back. You know any how credit cards worked? This idea, though, for him, it was embedded that if you're going to take something, you have to give something back, right? We see that even children understand 
and have a very distinct value of fairness. If you don't believe so, take one toy and put it in a room full of four or five kids. They, they naturally share so perfectly together. There's no crying or fighting. What we saw here this morning, both at this table and at this table, was the ability to be fair for all three people, right? But carefully, if you listen, the goal was to get an equal amount of money for the people all around the table the fastest. They chose, and not incorrectly, you did a wonderful job, all of you, to divide the money instead of dividing their own personal interest. What if we all held the money in common and used it for all of our benefits, no matter how that maybe would shake out? If you do that, when you add the extra pennies in, which foolishly I left on the tables, because that was going to be a great illustration. When you add those two extra pennies in, there is no room for unfairness. There is no room for dividing unequally. See, the real way to win was to take out my self-interest in dividing out the money. It's instead to put myself all in on everyone's welfare equally. The obvious place where our thinking must engage the parable is issues with envy, with justice, with goodness done to others, not with the call to the vineyard. Why is it that goodness often is the occasion for anger? Why do we find it so difficult to rejoice over the good that enters others' lives while we spend our own time calculating how we have been cheated? Soren Kierkegaard, who's a 20th century theologian, focuses that this parable shows the danger of the sin of comparison. I often say that comparison is the gateway sin of all other sins. We see that comparison is the backbone of many of the Ten Commandments. God says, do not compare with another person what they have or don't have. Just focus on what you've been given and use it for my glory. Contemporary Bible scholar Huffman paints a picture this way. The parable begins with a typical scene and introduces atypical elements to surprise the listener and the reader and makes a powerful point. Jesus deliberately and cleverly led the listeners along by degrees until they understood that if God's generosity was to be represented by a man, such a man would be different from any other man they've ever encountered. We cannot fully embrace our heavenly citizenship while we're envious of others here on earth. Even when we may speak of justice, equality, and equity, none of us are satisfied with just average. We, because of the culture and because of who we are, we just want a little bit more. Just having enough is not enough. We need a little bit more. Our heavenly payday is not some cold standard by which the poor are kept poor and the rich rich. No, God is abundantly generous with our eternal payday, not by what we deserve. We say we worry about justice, but too often we dress up justice as reality, jealousy, or we use justice as a weapon to somehow limit generosity, to give up my greedy hand and to fully share in this life like I will in the next is a fulfillment of justice, friends, on an eternal and in a heavenly scale. Our payday centered around justice requires action, seeking good for all persons, but especially those poor, the marginalized, and those who have had over generations faced injustice. And not surprisingly, that's what the early church was built upon. The early church wasn't all celebrities and the haves. No, the early church was widows, was orphans, prisoners, and the poor. 
and yet they were abundantly rich because they didn't hold tight what they thought was theirs and wanted just a little bit more. They gave freely for the good and benefit of all God's people. For God, true justice involves delight in giving freely more than deserved. God will reward as he has promised. This is our heavenly payday. This is a heavenly economy. Can you imagine God giving what we actually deserve? Please laugh uncomfortably. Because I don't deserve what God gives me. What I actually merit involves something way worse than what God has freely given me. Even if he's called me at 5 o'clock or if he's called me at 6 a.m., both of those calls have a result that I can only say, thank you, God. We must come to grips with the fact that the greatest sinner of all sinners can find justice at the foot of the cross, even in their last moments. When we can't, we are the rich man in the prior chapter. We leave saddened. In the heavenly economy, I have the same payday. Listen to this. Listen to this. In the heavenly economy, I have the same eternal payday as the apostle Peter. What? Peter's like up here and I'm down here. And I'm pastor of E3 Church. For some of you all, you're even further low than me, right? (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. That's not how that works. The apostle Peter and I have the same payday. I mean, you should be saying a swear word under your breath right now because that should be shocking for some of your eternal calculations of how you think that eternity works. No, you have the same blessing that Peter does, that Paul does, that all the saints who've gone before you, that even your perfect great-great-grandma, who never swore in her life, and especially never in church, you have the same eternal payday because of your faith in Jesus Christ. But I have to imagine that my enemies, those people who I disdain, that I hate, that God will even give them the same payday if they turn their lives around and follow him. I have to embrace them, not endure them for eternity. In God's generosity, God may give some more than they potentially deserve in our calculations. Those who believe they do not benefit fully in this exceeding generosity have no basis for ill feeling toward the Father. Rather, they are invited to share his vision of generous goodness. Since it is the master's money, the master's vineyard, and the master's right to bring in all he did, how can we feel injustice when it was never ours to give? God, who does own all things and holds all things together, makes it plain that he'll be more gracious to us than we deserve. And the ones hired at 9 a.m. or 6 a.m. versus 5 p.m. who have no earthly deservedness of grace, all are given freely and joyfully. So I ask these questions to you to close. Where do you limit that heavenly generosity by contributing to systems of oppression, injustice, and inequality for a variety of reasons. Where are you holding back heavenly paydays for fear that there's such limited resources? Where do you need to release control and point out those who still need to be brought into that vineyard? How do your earthly resources reflect this heavenly economy? And lastly, do you need to accept God's payday and realize that you are deserving of a generous, an eternal payday. Amen.